0: Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep the Mining podcast. And today's guest is Cedric Simone, who's the Chief Executive Officer at Alterna Rare Earth, who are a resource exploration and development company focused on rare earths in Africa. Um, they recently listed on the London Stock Exchange and currently developing the, the Mont Breman rare earth project in mozambique cedric's a P- phd geologist with over 25 years experience in africa and france managing exploration development and production projects uh, in the mining and energy uh, sectors uh, he's worked in many jurisdictions across africa um, and in many commodities and he is here today to give us an overview of alterna rare earths uh, what they a little bit more about the company and what they're looking to achieve. So that's welcome, Cedric, to the podcast. How are you doing, Cedric? Uh,
1: I'm good, Robert. Thank you for, very much for having me.
0: No worries, and appreciate, obviously, your time as well. So I wonder if you can um, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, about your career, and about your background.
1: Uh, sure. Um, it would be a pleasure. First, uh, I, I'm uh, Actually, uh, talking to you from uh, our work site at uh, Monte Mohambe in uh, northwest uh, Mozambique. So it's, it's very great to do uh, this podcast right from the site where we're working. So um, as you said, I'm a geologist. Uh, I hold a PhD in uh, geology, and I have a little bit over 25 years experience doing uh, mineral exploration uh, developments, mining. Uh, mostly in Africa, uh, especially in the eastern and southern parts of Africa, uh, but also a little bit uh, in in France. So I started my career back in uh, 1995, um, after I finished my master's, and I started as a geologist on a ruby mine in a a national park in Kenya. So it was kind of a a dream job, you know, being in the wilderness, with other people, doing uh, mineral exploration, with mining in a fantastic environment. Uh, It was really lovely. And as uh, I grew into my career, uh, rapidly I started to do more management than actually uh, uh, geology. And I held a lot of uh, management positions uh, since then. In terms of commodities, I've worked on a wide range of commodities, uh, that includes gold, that includes uh, uh, colored gemstones, that includes a lot of industrial minerals. uh, That includes also uh, rare earth elements and other uh, rare metals. Um, I've actually worked on several rare earth projects before in Kenya. Uh, we've got some carbonatites there in Kenya with rare earths, including some world-class deposits, such as the uh, NRIMA uh, carbonatite. And in terms of uh, types of walls, um, I've had quite a lot of variety. So I think I've covered everything from exploration geology, mine geology, whether in open pits or underground. Um, I've done mine management, open pits management business management of services, company, mining operations. Uh, I've worked also on, on environmental issues. So the, the thing I like with my career, the, the advantage I'm getting for, from so much variety is that when I look at a project, like for example, right now, I have a very high level view on the project. And right from this early stage where we are still doing exploration, I can um, uh, put into the equation, the mining aspects, uh, the environmental aspects, the marketing aspects, the commercial aspects, the funding aspects. So it helps me a lot to see what is valuable, what is not valuable, how we are going to to, to work with project.
0: Okay, great. I wonder if you just tell our audience a little bit about, about Alterna Rare Earth, a little bit about the company.
1: Right, so Altona Rare Earths is a resource exploration and development company. Uh, we are currently listed on the London Stock Exchange. The company is based in the UK, and um, at the moment, uh, we have one uh, main project which is Monte Bay, uh, on which we are currently working. It's a rare earth project and it's located in Mozambique, in northwestern Mozambique.
0: Um- Obviously, the company has recently moved from the acquis to the main market of the London Stock Exchange. What were the reasons behind the move and what are your expectations?
1: Okay, so uh, we started to implement uh, uh, our Rare Earth strategy back in early 2020. Before that, Altoba Rare had been doing other projects like coal projects in Australia decided to drop them to move into rare earths and specialize in Africa. So at that time, we were listed on the AQUIS uh, stock exchange, which is one of the smaller uh, stock exchanges in the United Kingdom. And AQUIS was a great stock exchange for a microcap startup. But as we acquired our first project and we started exploration, it quickly became clear that uh, AQUIS would not sustain our company's growth on the long term. And that we would have to move to one of the larger markets, whether in the UK or elsewhere. So um, getting onto one of the major markets had been a key corporate objective for the company and for its management since 2020. On uh, June 9th this year, we achieved our objective and uh, we started trading on the main market of the LSE was quite a difficult process, it took some time, but um, we, we really tried until we managed. And there are several reasons why we, ch- we chose uh, this particular exchange. First, we are a rare earth company. Most investors are certainly very familiar with uh, things like copper or gold, but very few investors actually understand rare earths. It's a relatively new market. The project we work on have a very specific nat- nature, and have complex characteristics. So we felt that the investors active on the LSE were better educated, more familiar with uh, Red Earth projects. Actually, several of our peers are listed on the LSE. Um, We also looked at the AIM market, but um, we thought that investors there nowadays are not necessarily putting a lot of effort into doing research on the companies they invest in. They are also not necessarily looking at investing for the long term. So there's a lot of day trading going on. We are not very interested in this. We are for long term investors. We understand what we are doing and we are going to stick with us. Um, The other reason why uh, we wanted to move to the LSE is that we want to grow uh, the company very rapidly. We are going to need to raise increasingly large amounts of money as we go through feasibilities, uh, feasibility studies and then into developments. And we expect that the main market listing will support our growth, not only in the long term, and sorry, not only in the short term, but also in the long term. There's one more reason. Um, we are active in Africa. Partners, governments, other stakeholders in Africa I've had a lot of experiences with companies listed on various exchanges in the past, some some good experience and also some less good experiences. We feel that being on the main market of the London Stock Exchange comes with a cachet of reputation, which supports our relationships with local stakeholders. So one might wonder about uh, governance because the obligations for a company listed on the standard segment of the LSE are not as high as those for a company which is listed on the premium segments or which is listed on AIM. But governance ultimately is a matter of what the board of the company decides to do. At Altona, we are very serious about governance. We have chosen since 2019 to comply with the quoted Companies Alliance Governance Code, the QCA code. And obviously, for all the technical reporting, we comply with the Australian Job Code, which is one of the major uh, standards in our industry. So as far as seeing the benefits of being on the LSE materialized uh, are concerned, um, it's a bit too early, as we've been there for only about two months, uh, not even two months, and we've not had major news coming up yet. Uh, but we are very excited to see what will happen once our maiden mineral resource estimate comes out later during this quarter.
0: Um, your flagship project is, as you mentioned, uh, Mount um rare earth project in obviously Mozambique. Um, can you just tell us where you are with that exploration and I suppose an update, and what are your next deliverables?
1: All right, so um, Monte Mouambe is a carbonatite uh, of deposits. Carbonatites are igneous rocks, but they consist mostly of carbonates. So they are not like your typical granite or, or monzonites or other common uh, igneous rocks. These rocks are actually quite unusual. The um, Monte Bay carbonatite intrusion is about 3 kilometers in diameter, which makes it quite large. But it's not mineralized everywhere. You don't find the Red Earths everywhere. And you have to find where they are exactly through exploration. So when we took over uh, Monte Bay back in uh, 2021, the project had been lying idle for about 10 years. Other companies had done exploration at Monte Bay previously for Spa or fluorite, which is an industrial mineral. And in the course of this exploration, they had they had encountered uh, occurrences, but nobody at the time really knew what could be the potential of these occurrences. They were good grades, but nobody knew what would be the volume. So since uh, August uh, 2021, we've done two drilling campaigns totaling over 7,000 meters. We've done both diamond drilling and reverse circulation drilling. And we've been able to delineate two significant ore bodies so far. We call them target one and target four. Um, Target one is the largest, the ore body is the largest. It's about 600 meters long, 30 to 70 meters thick. And we've followed it down to over 100 meters below the surface. So it's quite chunky, it's very well defined. Um, One thing we've noted is that we have two types of ore at Bay, We have what we call low grade ore which is between 0.5 and 1% Thio. Thio stands for total rare earth oxide. It's a measure of all the rare earth elements combined contained in the rock. So this low grade ore is between 0.5 and 1% Thio. It also has some niobium. And on the other hand we have the high grade ore uh, which is an average 2.5 to which is quite good, and no niobium. So in August last year, uh, we published the first exploration target estimate for the project. So for those who are not familiar, an exploration target is some sort of estimation of potential. It's not a resource estimate. You do that when you don't have yet enough data or data of a sufficient standards to do a resource estimate. So back in August last year, uh, we were not yet ready for a resource estimate, but we were able to do an exploration target. And if you want to look at the complete figures, you can go back to the website and the RNS season. But the important part on which I insist of this estimate uh, was the high-grade zone, this high-grade law I've just been describing. So these high-grade zones ranged the in size from 6.5 to 11.5 million tons. And the grades were between 2.4 and 2.5 percent TRU. And this was very interesting for us. So, after uh, we completed the estimate, we continued drilling, focusing on this high grade ore on uh, target one, a long strike, and also at depth. We have now received all the assay results from last year's drilling. We have hired a, a very reputable uh, geological consultancy company called Snowden Optiro and they are busy preparing our maiden jock mineral resource estimates as well as a scoping study. We think, that's my opinion, that uh, the mineral resource estimate is going to come around 20 million tons at 2.5% plus minus TREO. And when we compare this with our peers, we can see that this is already sufficient to do a mining operation in terms of size in terms of grade. Of course, there are many other parameters that will come into play. But it's a very, very good start. So the work on the scoping study is ongoing. Uh, that includes uh, the mineral resource estimates. That includes also some metallurgy, which is currently being done in uh, Australia. That includes some basic mine and process design. That includes some initial uh, financial projections. The scoping study is going to give us a first pass look at the viability of the project. And uh, it should be out later during this quarter. This is our immediate deliverable. So we are, we are focusing all our energy on this. And upon completion of, of this deliverable, uh, we are under an earning agreement for Montemo Bay. So our ownership of Monte Bay will increase to 51%. Immediately after this, we will embark on the pre-feasibility study, as well as applications for a mining concession and for land rights. So as you can see, it's going to be a very busy 2023 for us at Montemont Bay with a lot of things.
0: Um, Obviously, before settling on this uh, Montemont Bay project, um, the company reviewed a number of possible acquisitions in Malawi and Uganda in particular. Um, Is Altana still looking for other possible
1: projects out there? um altona's initial strategy was always to be a multi-assets company specialized on rare earth specialized in africa but different assets since we secured the mountain guambe project we've been focusing a lot on proving this project uh, we absolutely love this project we think it's a great asset uh, which is suitable for short-term development so we put a lot of energy into it but at the same time uh, we are based in africa Um, I am based between uh, uh, Mozambique uh, and Kenya and Ethiopia. We have the knowledge of the geology of the continent. We have uh, networks. We are in an excellent position to find new opportunities. Um, And also in terms of strategy for the company, it's always a good thing to have projects in different jurisdictions in order to manage various country specific risks. So in Africa, you can find rare earth deposits in different geological contexts, in different geological environments. As as we have said, Montemuambe is a carbonatite. It's one type of deposit. Carbonatite deposits are quite large. They are made of hard rocks, so the processing is a bit complex. Um, But the grades are high. Then you have other types of deposits, like ionic clay deposits. Ionic clay deposits are relatively new. Uh, they have started to be uh, developed in China about 40 years ago. So ionic clay deposits are easier to mine because the, you, you're just mining the clay at the surface of the ground, but uh, the grades are much lower. And then you also have uh, deposits like hydrothermal deposits or vein deposits, which can be relatively small, like small gold veins, but high grade. So, um, we have uh, recently identified previously unknown ionic layer deposits for target generation. I can't tell you much more about this today, but we are moving to secure them through license applications and uh, we will continue to regularly assess other opportunities. So the answer is yes, we are definitely looking at other possible projects. Uh, but with a focus on projects which would have a shorter timeline to production than our
0: um, Altona have obviously been active in Mozambique since uh, mid-2021. Um, how, how do you actually rank this jurisdiction in terms of attractiveness for exploration and mining investment? Um, and possibly what difficulties are you encountering?
1: All right. So- personally i've been involved in the mineral and energy industry in mozambique since uh, 2013 uh, various types of projects and uh, including some coal bed methane uh, projects actually also in Ted province so i've got quite a lot of experience with this country one of the things i like with mozambique is that although it is probably not one of the best known mining countries in africa it still has a lot of mining activity large-scale, medium-scale, small-scale. It has a suitable legislation, and it has a licensing system that works. You just need to go online to look at the Mozambique Mining cluster. You will see a lot of licenses there have been issued. So the country issues licenses, which is very important because without a license, you cannot do anything. Um, our project is located in uh, the Tet Province, Uh, it's in Northwest Mozambique, near the border with Malawi, with Zambia, with Zimbabwe. It's a relatively major mining region of Africa. Uh, Just next to where we are, there are four operating coal mines. There is a large um, uh, steel, uh, iron ore and steel project. There are gold mines, there are gemstone mines, there is a lot of activity. And you can find uh, trained resources, you can find equipment suppliers, you can find service suppliers. There is infrastructure, there is access to energy with the Karorabasa hydropower uh, plant. So it's a a good part of Mozambique to to, to work in. Um, Another thing which is quite important for me in Mozambique is that uh, the country tends to issue mining concessions at a relatively early stage in the projects. This is very useful because it allows uh, investing companies to secure mining rights early, without waiting for the last minute. And that helps a lot to de-risk the project, that helps a lot to secure financing for the projects. So it's a very good thing in, uh, in Mozambique. Now, not everything is easy in Mozambique uh there is undeniably a lot of bureaucracy that one has to learn how to navigate it pays off to have good uh, local partners who are familiar with the operating conditions in the country uh, our partners are extremely supportive they are business people they understand how to do business in the mozambican environment i must say that so far uh, we have not encountered many difficulties so touch wood. Uh, of course, as we go more towards uh, more advanced studies and the mining phase, I'm expecting some will crop up and we'll have to uh, to deal with them to, to address them.
0: Yeah. Um, rare earth elements are obviously regularly in the headlines nowadays um, and offered often labelled as obviously critical uh, minerals. We hear a lot about the dominance of China obviously on this market and them holding a lot of these uh, rare earths, um, but I take it obviously the public are not as familiar with with rare earths and what they're obviously actually used for. So I just wonder if you can just, I suppose, provide a little bit of education around, obviously, more about these rare earths um, and obviously battery metals as well.
1: All right. So... Rare earth elements, uh, when we talk about rare earth elements, it's actually 17 different elements if you include uh, uh, scandium, yttrium, and promethium. But in real life, promethium is very rare in nature. I think the estimate is there is just about 500 or 600 grams naturally occurring on the whole planet Earth. So we can forget about this one. Scandium is absent uh, at Monte So practically at Monte we are looking at 15 different elements. That's still a lot. Uh, So each of these elements has got its own chemical characteristics. It's got its own uh, uses in industry. And of course, it's got its own price. If you look at the abundance of rare earth elements in the earth's crust, uh, they are not actually that rare. And uh, you might have heard that before. But the crustal abundance of cerium, which is most, one of the most common rare earths, is actually higher than that of copper. And the crystal abundance of neodymium, which is one of the most important uh, rare earths, is very close to that of copper. So what is actually rare is to find mineral deposits in which uh, The rare earths are sufficiently concentrated to allow their extraction in a viable manner, making a profit, obviously. So uh, rare earths have got a very wide range of uses. I've just mentioned cerium. Uh, Cerium oxide is used for polishing glass. Anything that has polished glass, usually you've used uh, cerium oxide. terbium and yttrium are used for uh, the small element in screens that give a color red, green, and blue uh, to the screen. So the screen you are looking at right now has got rare earths in it and will not work without these rare earths. But the main use for the most important rule used, in my opinion, for rare earths is for permanent magnets. And you've got four of the rare earth elements which are critical for permanent magnets, which we also call the magnet metals. These are neodymium, praseodymium, terbium, and dysprosium. So once you've made magnets, uh, permanent magnets, these magnets in turn are used for a lot of applications. Going back to our electronics, the loudspeaker on the, on the computer or the phone uses a small permanent magnet. The hard drive on the computer using a small permanent magnet. The Earths are just everywhere. But um, the most important permanent magnets for our future um, are the ones that are used in windmills, in wind turbines, and the ones that are used in drivetrains for electric vehicles. Um, You've mentioned battery metals, battery minerals. So rare earths are not actually battery minerals. Um, Rare earths, through the magnets, are used to produce electricity through wind turbines. And they are used to turn this electricity into motion through motors, electric drivetrains. Battery minerals, like lithium, graphite, cobalt, are somewhere in the middle to store electricity. So we are at the beginning and the end of the chain, but three minerals are in the middle. Um, by volume, permanent magnets represent about 50% of the global rare earth con- con- consumption. But by value, it's 95%. Most of the value is for the rare earths used in permanent magnets. And at Monte Muhambe, these magnet metals are present, especially in neodymium and praseodymium. And if you look at the current um, price of these elements, and if you look at uh, the greater uh, that we already have from the samples we've analyzed, about 90% of the contained metal value is for the magnet metals at Monte The other rare earth elements represent just 10%. So currently, about um, 13% of the rare earth magnets are used in electric vehicles and 10% in wind turbine. The rest is used in all other applications for permanent magnets, uh, robots, uh, I mean, name it, anywhere where there is a magnet. But these two particular markets, electric vehicles and wind turbines, are going to be the main growth driver for the magnet for the next 20 years. All the uh, consultants who work on on doing forecasts on conception Agree about this. The market for rare earths is expected to increase fivefold by 2040, and this is due mostly to the world's transition to green energy, which is not going anywhere. The world therefore needs to build more production capacity, more refining capacity for rare earths. We already are in a situation of undersupply for uh, magnet rare earths. And even considering all the existing projects that may come on stream over the next few years, the undersupply of neodymium-praseodymium oxide is expected to rise to 90,000 tons by 2040. This is huge. This means that this market for rare for, for earth is going nowhere. Rare earths are essential to our life. They are essential to the decarbonization of our energy sources. The fundamentals are solid, including on the long term. Um,
0: amid the the recent rush towards critical uh, minerals in Africa, um, several several jurisdictions recently banned exports of raw ore uh, in a bid to force more trans transformation and value added in country. Um, in your opinion, what is required to make more uh, more value? addition happening in Africa, and in Mozambique in particular.
1: Right, I'm sure you have in mind the recent proposals to ban uh, exports of raw ore uh, from countries like Namibia and Zimbabwe, uh, especially with respect to lithium. Such proposals are not new. Uh, Every time there is a rush towards a mineral commodity, and even when there is not, African governments legitimately want to see how their minerals can benefit as much as possible, their countries, uh, and their people. The problem is that export bans have been tried before, and they've never really actually translated into the development of a transformation industry in country. So in my opinion, they are very counterproductive. I'm a great believer in the necessity of doing more value But it's not easy. It's a step by step process. It will take time. Um, what is required on the side of investors, I believe, is to consider this possibility from the earliest possible stage of the project so that if the characteristics of the project allow it, value addition transformation can be integrated in feasibility studies. We should, we should not just discard the idea just because we think it's too difficult or or not possible. We should look into it. And this is what we are doing at Altona. Uh, We are already looking at the possibility of doing some rare earth separation and refining in Mozambique, not to ship out a concentrate. And we are looking at that right from the stage of the scoping study, which increases our chances of success. If we are doing all our studies and then waiting to have a DFS to start thinking, oh, what about value addition? It's not going to work very well. So we are, we are looking at it right from this stage of the scoping study. But at the end of the day, uh, it's the technical and financial specifications of a project, especially the costs, that are going to determine how much value addition can be done in-country. So when we talk about costs, um, one important thing that can encourage value addition in the country is the development of a condu- conducive business environment, and that's about the government. So I'm not necessarily talking about tax incentives, which is the first thing people have in mind. I'm talking about just removing the hurdles. If African governments can remove hurdles that go into the way of doing value addition, it will make it a lot easier. We've talked before about bureaucracy. Mozambique, that is an issue. Simplifying business processes, making them shorter, takes less time. This will help a lot. Of course, uh, you can look at other ways of improving the business environment, like improving infrastructures, improving access to energy, to water, and so on. So um, this, on the part of the governments, requires consultation because governments are not necessarily familiar with what investors need. It requires engagement with the people who are actually going to make investment decisions and to implement these projects. In Mozambique, that means talking to the uh, Association of Mining Geologists in Mozambique. That means talking to the uh, Chamber of Mines of Mozambique, which has recently became become more and more active, which has kind of uh, revived its activities. And I believe this will be very productive, a lot more productive than, than banning exports of minerals.
0: And lastly, what's the outlook for the remainder of the year for the company?
1: Yeah, so uh, as I've said, we, we are looking at a very, very busy year. Um, we are uh, uh, currently focused on our mineral resource estimate, our scoping study. This is going to put officially on the table what is the potential of this project. We believe in it, but we'll have the reports uh, to show it. And from that point, uh, we will be uh, engaging into our pre-feasibility study. Uh, We want to try to fast track uh, Monte Bay. We already have, as I explained, a good idea of the size of our project, of the grade. We know we have a size which is already suitable for mining op- operation. So we are not going to waste time trying to drill, drill, drill to increase uh, our resource statement to hundreds of millions of tons. We know we don't need this. We need to focus on uh, on uh, development. If we manage to secure. And I believe we will uh, uh, additional projects. We will be also looking at how we can start developing this. So this is what you can expect for the short term, at least for twenty twenty three.
0: Yeah, Cedric, really appreciate your time in giving us an overview of alternative rare earths, and obviously explaining the importance, obviously of of rare earths in our um, in our world, and obviously moving forward with the with the uh, green revolution. Um, obviously these metals and minerals are crucial to that. So if our audience wants to ask you any questions, they if they want to follow uh, the story of the company, how can they go about doing that? What social media platforms are you on? Uh,
1: we are on Twitter, we are on LinkedIn. Uh, plus obviously we have a website uh, There are open communication lines on these three platforms.
0: Yeah. Okay. We'll include those in the show notes accompanying this podcast. So um we wish you uh, the well for the remainder of the year uh, going into next year Um and perhaps come on to the podcast next year to give us an update.
1: I look forward to it. Thank you, Rob. No, no worries.
0: Um, Audience, hope you uh, enjoyed that episode. Obviously, Cedric pointed out the importance of obviously uh, these rare earths um there's not too many companies and operations out there at the moment um so it's crucial crucial that we get some uh understanding and knowledge around uh this uh these rare earths because it's obviously going to be with us now and for many years into the future so i appreciate your continued support please keep sharing these episodes uh around around the world to friend, to obviously people within the industry, um, but also people outside of the industry. So they get, so they get an understanding of what mining is about, and um, obviously all the good things that we do, but also the critical nature of what we do and what is needed for uh, mankind in us moving and evolving forward. So appreciate your time. Thanks for listening, and until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening.